0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fensky. St. Louisans may know Jim McKelvey as the co-founder of Third Degree Glass Factory. In fact, he himself is a talented glassblower, but he's so much more than that. He's the founder of Launch Code, a nonprofit that teaches people the skills they need for jobs in tech for free. And he's also an independent director of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. But it's McKelvey's experience as the co-founder of Square that's front and center in his new book. The company took on the big guys with a credit card reader, a cute, cleverly built device that had a huge impact. It allowed small businesses to take credit card payments without getting gouged. And that opened up credit payments to a host of artists, nonprofits, event planners, and other people previously kept from the game. McKelvey tells that story in The Innovation Stack, building an unbeatable business, one crazy idea at a time. It's an incredibly fun read. It's fast and funny and as intimate as if you were talking to your best friend, if your best friend just happened to have honed a $4.5 billion company. And so he's here today to tell us all about it. Jim McKelvey, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. So
0: I want to get to your book in just a moment, but but bigger picture. Um, there's obviously huge unemployment right now. The Washington Post says the rate has already hit 5.5 percent. Many more people are still filing. I know with your work with the Federal Reserve, you have your finger on the pulse. So what's your take on the economy now? Do you think Congress's $2.2 trillion package is the right solution?
1: So I'm not qualified to even figure out. Uh, that out and and frankly nobody is. I mean we have phenomenal economists at the Fed, um, but they're all making their best guesses because at this point nobody really knows what's going to happen. Um, but what I can tell you is that uh, the people at the St. Louis Fed and the Fed in general are super intelligent. They're nonpartisan uh, and they're trying to do the right thing. And they have a lot of uh, weaponry, so they have a lot of things that they can do. And one of the great things that I heard uh, at a Fed meeting, which I think I can share <laughs> legally, is um, that they think it's it's unique this time because this is a voluntary shutdown of the economy Mm -hmm. to address a health problem. So right up until uh, the contraction, we looked at the economy. Everything was looking fine. Like, we couldn't find signs of problems. So um, it's a terrible analogy, but it's like like the economy has been in an induced coma. Mm -hmm. You know, when your doctor gives you some medicine and knocks you out Uh, but they expect to be able to wake you up at some point. So, the great hope is that uh, when the virus is finally uh, conquered, then we will be able to restart the economy, and it will hopefully be easier uh, than restarting restarting economy that's just in a typical recession.
0: Mm-hmm. And that is a great hope. I, I hope your faith in these uh, very smart people is warranted and and we'll see as we go. But I will say your book, um, it's absolutely such a great read and it really does seem so relevant for this time that we're in and that you're talking about dealing with challenges that are just um, just one challenge after another, how to, how to figure out how to deal with them. And so in some sense, this book is not about this at all, but it seems like this could be really relevant for this point in time.
1: Yeah, I I picked the worst week in the last century to launch a book and probably the best topic to write about. Uh, So, um, look, uh, I talk about... worlds of uncertainty, and specifically entrepreneurship, and what it's like to do something that's never been done before. And it's fundamentally different from our normal lives. Most of the things we do in our daily lives uh, have rules and um, processes that we can follow, and it's very comforting to us. And when those processes get changed, or the rules go away, or just there's chaos, you end up in this world that's like the entrepreneur, where there is no certainty, and your behavior needs to change. And so what I did in the book was I I cleaved off um, people who spend their lives in these chaotic environments, and how they can come to thrive in those. And, The Sort of the key is something I call an innovation stack, which seems to be prevalent in most world-changing businesses uh, at Mm -hmm. the beginning.
0: And you deploy this metaphor throughout the book um, based on the medieval city of Edinburgh. And I can tell this one is kind of a personal (laughs) touchstone for you, and I grew to love it throughout the course of this book. So walk us through how this is a metaphor for what entrepreneurs are up to.
1: So the metaphor that I use is a walled city. And in the ancient days, they used to build walls around cities, uh, both to protect the people, but also to trap them inside. And if you lived in these cities, it was pretty terrible, because they didn't have sewage, they didn't have plumbing, Uh, they would, uh, it was pretty disgusting. And I won't gross out your audience with some of the more graphic stuff that I talk about in the book. But, you know, it's public radio. Uh, But, uh, you know, we got, uh, these, these were sort of disease-ridden, horrible places. But the thing is, people stayed in the city. And to be uh, to venture outside the wall was terrifying to most people. And in some cases, that was punishment. Like if you got in trouble, one of the punishments was banishment. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about these people who either left the city because they were banished, or maybe they voluntarily left. And what was it like, like for them outside? And um, that's kind of what it's like for uh, to be an entrepreneur. You you end up without the normal rules applying to you, and uh, you're scared. And it's in many cases uh, more like banishment than exploration. So.
0: Go ahead. One of the things that also sort of comes through in this book is just how much of your own life you've spent outside these walls, mm-hmm. even though, you know, you kind of had this this nice upbringing in St. Louis. But it sounds like you were always kind of the wild man who wanted to be outside the walls. You even wrote a textbook on your own back when you were a freshman in college and didn't even know the subject area you were writing about. Uh, why did you ever feel the need to do that? <laughs>
1: Um, so first of all, uh, let's dispel a myth. I am not some bold person who ventures out. I am um, a guy who tends to get kicked out of stuff.
0: There <laughs> you go. That, that's an important correction there. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I, I'm the guy that gets tossed over the wall uh, by some angry crowd or something. But um, you know, whatever gets you outside, you're still there. And, and what happened to me in college was um, I was in a class at Washington University Engineering School uh, taking a taking a class with a textbook that I thought was terrible. And I mouthed off, as I normally do, saying that this textbook was crap and that I thought I could uh, write a better one as a freshman. Um, and uh, my my roommate said, well, why don't you? And I was like, okay, I will. So I spent the freshman year of uh uh, uh, writing this textbook. And um, I got lucky because the book struck a chord with the students and it got picked up by a major publisher. And then they asked me for a second book. So by the time I was a sophomore, I had, uh, in many cases, more publications than some of my professors.
0: It's just, it's such and, a crazy story. Like, it's, it's almost unbelievable. If I saw this on a Netflix series, I would say, no way, this this college freshman did not just write this best-selling textbook.
1: Well, well, Sarah, what's really interesting is if you trace back the history of some of our greatest inventions, the people at the founding moment were not qualified to do what they did. The Wright brothers, they were not qualified to be the first uh, people in, in, in the air. Um, IKEA was founded by a 17-year-old kid. It's the biggest furniture company in the world right now, but you know what does a 17-year-old kid know? Um, the biggest bank in the world uh, was started by a kid uh, who dropped out of Uh, school at age 15 and became a produce vendor. I mean, think about the world of banking being totally upended by a guy who sold lettuce.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make this really... fantastic story. Yeah, you make this really convincing argument. I mean, it it made me really root for entrepreneurs. I realized a lot of what I found annoying about entrepreneurs, those are, in fact, business people. And as you say, that's a completely different thing.
1: So, yes, um, the arrogance that uh, comes with this sort of self-certainty is dramatically absent with entrepreneurship. Hmm. Uh, humility tends to dominate. Because let me tell you something, if you're living outside that wall, uh, you are humble. Uh, I don't care if you're bold or, or banished, uh, you're going to be humble because life makes you so. And uh, humility is one of the great skills that I discuss. And um, and you know a- as far as the book goes, look, I, I want to let everybody know, I didn't try to write a business book. Mm-hmm. This was a graphic novel. My first five drafts of this were all pen and ink and
0: and you drew the the pictures as well
1: no well i sketched them but then i had a real a, a, a real uh, pro a guy named trevor goring who wrote for uh you know, dc and marvel uh he he did the final drawings but yeah trevor and i came up with uh with a graphic novel and i thought it was going to be great uh to read these stories uh as sort of a cartoon but then um one of my greatest stories and and a, a living legend who unfortunately just died but uh, Herb Kelleher the founder Mm -hmm. of Southwest Airlines who was one of my idols and who I took when I did all the research for the book and I wrote up all my stuff I took it to Herb Mm -hmm. and I gave it to Herb and I said Herb am I right? Like is this what happened to you? Does my theory hold water? And Herb loved it and I was so excited that Herb Kelleher who was this legend liked my writing and my research that I decided that I would do it as a graphic novel because Herb to me was a superhero and I thought he should be portrayed as a superhero. But um, when I sent him the draft, he got, he he didn't like it.
0: He didn't like Uh, the, the superhero aspect. He,
1: he said that the subject was too serious Hmm. and that, you know, he was in his late eighties and he said, um, he said, Jim, you know, when I was a kid, uh, comics were not serious. Comics were jokes. And I think, uh, I'm uncomfortable being portrayed as a comic book uh, character, and so out of respect for Herb Kelleher, uh, I killed half the comics in the book, and then uh, the other half my publisher killed when they reminded me that most people use e-readers or audiobooks these days, and that if you have a uh, sort of half book, half graphic novel, you're going to lose half your audience. So, um, so it's a te- it it is text, but. If you read it, it, it kind of has that comic book feel.
0: It definitely does. It's just it's so engaging. Um, there's no um, dumb bullet points in here or these things that we kind of associate <laughs> with these terrible 101 classes we all sat so, through in college. So true story.
1: One of the publishers that I brought the book to refused to read it because it had no bullet points. What, they said it, 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 was, uh, it was Harper Collins. I'll I'll say their name because I thought they were jerks. Uh, HarperCollins, the editors at HarperCollins, uh, refused to read the draft of the book because they're like, this can't be a business book. It's got no bullet points. Wow. And and, and and I was like, look, I'm talking about the unknown. How do I make bullet points about something that nobody knows yet? You know, are there five? Are there seven? Are there twenty-five? Like like, how the hell am I supposed to like give some sort of trite formula? But they refused to read the book because I didn't have bullet lists in it.
0: Wow. And, you know, I think that's a a serious error (laughs) in judgment. This book is very readable. Um, It doesn't need the bullet points. I would tell that to HarperCollins if they would ask for my opinion here. Um, And I will say, I want to mention for our listeners, if they're intrigued by this idea of it being a comic book, if you go to your website, jimmckelvie.com, you can still get one chapter as a comic book, and you just have to prove that you've bought the book ahead of time. So that was the one chapter chapter you just couldn't bear to get rid of.
1: Yes, yes. It's such a great chapter, and I wanted people to have it, but my publisher wouldn't publish it, so I just made it as a comic, and I'll give it to you for free. So go on the website, and you can either download it, or I'll actually mail you a physical comic book, old school, with even old school comic book ads for, you know, launch code and uh, <laughs> Square. and I mean, it's, it's kitschy, but look, you got to have some fun with this stuff, because, Cheryl, what, what entrepreneurs face is an uncertain environment. And uncertainty is really scary. So, you know, what are your tools? Well, you know, one of the great tools is humor. Mm-hmm. You know, when failure happens, when stuff blows up in your face, hey, sometimes that's good material. And I'm not trying to make light of a bad situation. I'm, 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 I'm terrified right now, and I've got a lot of employees who are scared. And, 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 look, I'm talking to you from from my living room, and I've got a you know half-inch layer of Purell over my body right now. I think <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is scary times, but. Humor is one of the things we shouldn't lose. So read the stories, have a good laugh, and yeah. If I want to portray banking uh, with pen and ink, I'll tell you the story of the world's best banker uh, as a comic. But but it's also a comic that's got all the classic comic book elements like uh, uh, an evil gang and murder and uh, the destruction of a major city and uh, you know there's a hero wearing a cape, which you know people in the 1800s actually did. Uh, No. I mean, this is... This is comic book stuff,
0: and this this comic book tale that you tell. Uh, this is the guy who ended up founding what became the Bank of America, and your book. And and for those who are just tuning in, we're talking to Jim McKelvey, who was the co-founder of Square, is also the founder of Launchcode. Uh, his new book is the Innovation Stack: Building an Unbeatable Business One Crazy Idea at a Time. And in addition to telling the story of Square, um, which is just a great story, you went back in time to find some role models and part. Part of your reason for that is you said you just didn't see any that were that recent or were that that were not necessarily in the same field. And so this Bank of America guy is one. The Southwest Airlines CEO is one. You even make a reference to Columbus here. He's sort of one of the original entrepreneurs.
1: Yes. So what Columbus did was effectively sail in a direction from which no previous Voyagers had returned. So if you go due west forever, uh, you die. And that was Columbus's pitch. And the reason, actually, see, I was lucky. And Columbus was actually a central insight because I was in a palace in Spain where the family had funded Columbus and he had given them these reports from his voyage. So I had the letters of Columbus. Literally, the letters of Christopher Columbus in front of me, mm-hmm. and I was looking through these, thinking about what it must have been like for this guy. Um, you know, and I always feel sorry for myself when I get into some business and I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel l- lonely. And I thought, wait, wait a second. Like, I don't have any problems. This guy had real problems. Like, you know, my, you know, my my, my employees are, are, are worried about uh, you know telecommuting. Like, his employees, his employees were were trying to kill him. You know, what I mean, <laughs> so. Columbus uh, was this sort of role model for me of somebody who did something that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. And that that's what led me to this uh, view of history, because history is full of examples of this thing that we stumbled upon at Square. And it allowed Square to thrive and sur- survive an attack by Amazon. But... It was really this pattern that has recurred throughout history. And and it's not that common a pattern, but it's amazingly powerful. And I just thought people should know about it.
0: So tell us about this pattern as it relates to Square. I understand this is something that could take many chapters, but just to give people a sense of what you mean by that innovation stack, how did that work out in this company you co-founded with Jack
1: Dorsey? Yeah, so innovation is a mess. And if viewed in hindsight, sometimes it looks more orderly. But basically what happened with Square was we chose to serve a type of merchant, an individual who wasn't in the system, which means that the banks and credit card companies didn't have any systems to support them. So, the second we tried to connect people like me to the credit card system, we found that there were no on-ramps. So, we had to start building our own on-ramps. And a lot of these on-ramps violated laws and rules that were in the existing system. And, And on the first week of Square, by the end of the first week, I had found 17 laws, rules, and regulations that we were violating with every single transaction.
0: And I feel like most people would have just given up at that point. Like, the law says we can't do this. There are 17 laws that say we can't do this. Yes.
1: yes. So, um, you know, Jack and I have a little contrarian view. We uh, First of all, we started in the middle of a recession, which is something you're kind of not supposed to do, but we thought, well, this is a great time. Um, And uh, we were convinced that what we were doing had Some value, and I knew personally that I wanted it, and I thought, well, maybe other people want it too. So we just kept working on it, and it turns out that, you know, we figured that about 80% of those laws we could eventually become compliant with, uh, but about 20% of them we had to have changed because they specifically forbade what Square was trying to do. And so it was sort of risky. To you know, invest all this time and people's effort into doing something that ultimately we needed another company to give us permission to do.
0: Mm -hmm. And so you talked to these other companies into signing on for what you were doing, and um, you had all these ways that you kind of worked around the things you had to work around. One of the things I thought was fascinating is you didn't just set out to build a functional card reader; you wanted one that was cute, and it it makes sense now as you look at these little square readers—they are adorable. But why was that something that was important to this innovation stack
1: so that was sort of a mistake that I intentionally made because I was the guy that built the hardware and um, I was the guy that came up with a really really small square reader and um, it doesn't work that well uh, I'll tell you because you're you know, if you remember a credit card swiping through a square reader it tends to wobble and screw up the read mm-hmm. um, so the way you quell the wobble is you make a, the reader longer you make a, a wider base and then it doesn't wobble and the reads are perfect but when I made them with the wider bases, Uh, people weren't that impressed with it, because it kind of looked like every other credit card reader. So I decided to go as small as I could possibly go. And the response from people was amazing. People were blown away. Like, it just started conversations. People were showing off. And the fact that it was a little bit difficult to use was actually in our favor, because people had to practice swiping credit cards. And, you know, know, five or six... uh, tries and they eventually got it and after three or four days they were perfect so it didn't really hurt them um but you know it's sort of like driving a stick shift like if you ever meet somebody who just learned to drive a stick shift like all they want to do is drive a stick shift they're so proud i can yeah i can i can get it into first gear and start up a hill and like it's it's this thing when humans love having a little bit of a challenge that they then master and by making that square card reader a little bit difficult to use, I gave them a chance to show off, and then I also gave them this beautiful little object that they were proud of. It was this little keepsake. It was a trinket. And uh, what we found was that people were you know, using our credit card hardware as like a form of jewelry. It was really weird, but I think ultimately really positive.
0: And that credit card reader, it's now in the um, uh, Museum of, of Modern Art. Did you ever think when you <laughs> set out to start a credit card payment processing company, that's what would get you into an art museum?
1: You know, I, the, 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 the cruel irony is that I've been making glass for 30 years, and uh, what gets me into MoMA is uh, the credit card reader that I designed for square. yeah um, yeah I mean look it was part of a show that they were doing on industrial design and the square reader uh, had uh, has some significance in industrial design so we got in for that and uh, I wasn't part of the ch- you know I wasn't part of the jury I don't even know I mean I didn't even apply I mean they just found us <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was very humbling to be there uh, because there's some phenomenal designs there and um, and I I think the Square Reader, you know, just makes a really positive statement about small business and the fact how scrappy, uh, you know, individuals can be.
0: It's, uh, man, it's just such a great story. I really do want to encourage all of our listeners to read this one. And just one last question I I wanted to um, ask before we go. And that is, you mentioned that you started in the middle of a recession, um, which is generally thought not to be a great time to launch a business. And yet for you guys, it was. And you think in this situation that we're in now, as much as it's terrible and it's so hard for so many people, that this some unique opportunities for people who are truly entrepreneurs willing to be outside that wall
1: uh yeah i mean it absolutely does but I, look i want to preface this by saying i'm not saying this is great or that i would wish this situation on anybody sure. I, I i dearly wish this didn't happen I, so I'm, I'm 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 as scared as everybody else okay hunkered down in my house you know covered in disinfectant um you know uh, it's 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 it's, it's these, these are scary times that said what we're going into is an environment of uncertainty and chaos. And entrepreneurs, and people who have the skills that I discuss in the book, have a relative advantage in that ecosystem. It's not that they're better off. It's they're better off compared to everybody else. So if you're somebody who has to have rules and has to have known outcomes and has to know what the next day is going to bring, today is going to be even more distressing than if you're somebody who is more of an entrepreneur and understands how the entrepreneurial mindset works and what success looks like. Because success for entrepreneurs doesn't look like success for other people. It's this weird thing. And believe me, Sarah, look, I was trained as an engineer. You know, I went through college. I did all the stuff I was supposed to do. And I'm used to being qualified to do the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you can't be qualified, and then the world changes, and then you feel really weird. And I always felt really weird, and I felt strange, and I felt like this oddball. And, and when I realized that, well, look, I was still going to feel like an oddball no matter what, <laughs> but, but that, that there were other oddballs throughout history, and that this was an appropriate set of feelings for the situation that I happened to be in, it made me feel a little better. And I wrote the book to you know hopefully be comforting, and, and maybe even inspiring to somebody who looks at a strange situation. Feels unqualified, and says, "Well, wait a second. How how could anybody be qualified? Like, who's the expert right now?" And and I, I listen to these Fed conversations. I listen to the brightest economists in the world. They don't know. You know, I I I read all the papers. They don't know. I talk to my friends who are in you know epidemiologists and in and, and, and in you know the healthcare industry. They don't know. Mm-hmm. So like, nobody's an expert right now. So if you have these skills of the entrepreneur, you're you're relatively better off. And this is not the worst time. There there, there will be fortunes made uh, mm-hmm. and great things that arise out of this, even though I wouldn't wish this plague for anything. Yeah.
0: Well, that's. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who are the entrepreneurs who emerge from this moment, and maybe they'll even be inspired by this book. So, Jim McKelvey, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. I love your program.
0: And uh, thank you, Jim. And Jim is the co-founder of Square. He's the co-founder of Third Degree Glass Factory, the founder of LaunchCode. And his new book is The Innovation Stack, Building an Unbeatable Business, One Crazy Idea at a Time. And you can even get that comic book chapter if you go to jimmckelvie.com. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.